Are we on back back here? Can y'all hear us in the back? We're good. Okay. Well, let me thank you for being here. And uh, boy, I'm, that rain sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds so good. And I'm thankful for it. And I know that you are as well. Doug is passing out the uh, lesson handouts for the class tonight. We are looking at the main characters of the VBS classes that the children are going through. Uh, we are looking at them through the perspective of what we learn about God from each of these. And tonight we come to the story of the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that will show us that we serve a God that provides for our needs. And it's a powerful lesson, and I hope that I'm able to communicate the thoughts uh, clearly and, and sufficiently in this study. Uh, there's much more material that I have prepared than what we're able to get to, and uh, if you'd like the, the full outline of these lessons, I'd be glad to provide that for you. Uh, if you've got an email address, I'd be glad to email those to you and uh, put it in a PDF where you'll be able to open it up. But our class tonight, if you will, turn over to Daniel chapter 3, and that is going to be the area that will comprise most of our study tonight, the discussion of the, the three Hebrew boys, although they're, we call them three Hebrew children. They're not really children as such as we would think, but uh, probably young men uh, in their, their early manhood years. But they give us a tremendous lesson. All right, I hope everybody's gotten the, the notes we're going to go on. Uh, we'll have a few preliminary points I want to stress at the beginning. <clears throat> I want to talk about the name that we identify with as far as God. There's two passages of Scripture that speaks about our trust in God. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, this is, is Moses' final words and exhortation to Joshua and Israel as they're about to go into the promised land. And they're at the end of the wilderness wanderings now that we talked about last night. But again, the focus is upon the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. Another passage in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. You remember the context of the book of Hebrews, the brethren there were about to give up. Some of them already had. They had relinquished their devotion to the Lord. They had given up. Some of them in Hebrews 6 had, had completely turned to the point where there was no hope forever uh, reclaiming their spiritual security in Christ. And so in chapter 10, the Hebrew writer is encouraging us to look to God and understand who God is. And because of that God, we are to hold fast by the confession of our hope. That's a point I want to make a footnote on. Our Christianity is based not on tradition. It's not based on pride. It's based upon our God, and we need to follow God more than we follow our own 
selfish inclinations more than we respect the leaders and, and maybe even family members that have taught us. We need to look to God, and that's the whole point. Uh, remember Jonah, the emphasis there. He is a commanding God. And then last night, Moses in the, the wilderness wanderings. God is the God that teaches us to survive. And now tonight, God is the God that provides. But our Christianity is based upon who God is and what God commands us to do. And so as we look at our relationship spiritually, uh, why are we members of a church? Of what church are we members? Well, we need to look to this particular point. It is to be that which God teaches, a very serious point. As Abraham and Isaac were going up the mountain there, you remember in Genesis 22, 8, the conversation between the father and his son. See, here we have everything, but Isaac said, we don't have the lamb. And in response to that, Abraham said, God will provide. Now, that's our English translation. But the Hebrew term is up there, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is, is a compound name for God. A number of years ago, I, I did a study on the names of God, and it's very enlightening. It helps us to understand who God really is. A lot of times in our English Bibles, it's just translated God. Well, like it did in Genesis 22:8, God will provide is the phrase, but the Hebrew term is Jehovah Jireh. Jireh is, is an interesting word, and it's, it's from a, a verb that means to see. And one of the interesting things I like to do in Bible study because of the translation and everything that's involved is understanding the meaning of the words. And let me just quickly take you on a, a trip uh, through this process. How do we get in this concept of jury, the, the, the verb to see, how do we get that God provides? Well, here's how you do that. To see in this Hebrew term includes the concept that God foresees. You see, God foresees something, and as God foresees, He sees what's about to happen. And God, in seeing, foreseeing, anticipating what is going to happen, God makes provision for that. Similar to a parent that might be watching their child play, and, and they see what's going to happen, they know what's going to befall that child, and as they're going to help that child, they're putting together all the things that's going to be needed to help that child. They're providing for that child. Well, the English word provision is an interesting term. It's a compound Latin word, and it means to see beforehand. Incidentally, the Latin word for vision is video. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, but uh, if you talk about video, you're speaking Latin. So, uh, but uh, the provision is a compound Latin word that means to see beforehand. So, as that parent is scurrying to that child and, and working to help that child, they are providing for that child. They're getting together the things that that child's going to need. Well, provide is the noun, and prevision is the verb on this. Uh, now, I, I hope you're as interested in it 
as I am. You may not be, but uh, bear with me. It won't be much longer. What this literally means is the Almighty God sees before what is going to happen, and that foreseeing gives the provision of the need. Now, God exercises this prevision in regard to mankind. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. You see the lesson there? God saw what was needed, and so before the world was founded, God had already provided that scheme of redemption by which man's sin would be atoned. Now, here's a literal or correct translate into our English that it might be. God is the one who will see to it. Isaac says, Dad, we have everything, but we don't have the lamp. God will see to it, son. And that's the lesson that we're talking about tonight. You might look around all in your life and you'll see all these things that seem unraveling and incomplete and there's chaos and confusion and you don't know what to do. God will see to it. Abraham and Isaac were doing everything that they could. God was going to take care of the rest. Here in this statement about the provision of God is a, a marvelous uh, statement about faith. The traits of faith expressed in this confident God will provide means we have absolute trust in Him. We have complete confidence that God is going to take care of us, and there's firm security in the midst of uncertainty. Again, you go back to that child that, that has fallen from the bicycle or stumped the toe or, or some mishap has come, and the parent on the way there, they put together, here's the Band-Aids, here's the antiseptic, here's the ointment, and the child is comforted because the provisions are made. That child knows mama's going to be there, and the Band-Aid is going to help. And isn't that exactly what we're talking about whenever it comes to our relationship with God. But the problem is our confidence in God's provisions is often tested. As I referenced last night, that father in Mark 9, 24, he had confidence. He says, I believe, but he says, help my unbelief. There are times in life when all we can do is just grasp and hold on to the faith in this God who provides. We don't understand what's going on. There's complete confusion. We're struggling, and we have the same confession that this father had. I believe, God. I believe in you. I know that you're there, but help my unbelief. I don't think it's wrong to pray that or to express that. It's still an expression of faith and dependence and trust on God. But it's certainly a comment that, that expresses how we often feel. There's a, an article I read some time ago, and, and let me just read it because it summarizes what we find here. It said, over the past three months, I've experienced a steady, unstoppable slide into the pit of depression. I've been here twice before. I know what waits for me at the bottom. I can honestly say with 100% conviction that I've done everything humanly possible to fight my depression. 
I'm on one of the most powerful and expensive antidepressants. I've seen a counselor. I'm keeping contacts with friends and family. And he says, I even bought a puppy. And then he says this, one of the saddest things I experience as a depressed Christian is being cut off from God. It's always felt like God was abandoning me in my greatest need. I can't count the number of times I've echoed Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Depression has given me a taste of the Christ's sorrow, a glimpse into the despair of the only begotten and utterly deserted Son of God. I was suicidal for three weeks, every day worse than the last every moment dragging me closer to death. I used to rage against God for hours. I still do sometimes with what I think is pretty good justification. But the sting has been taken out of it. It's almost academic in my heart of hearts. I just don't feel bitter or angry toward God. Then he makes this statement. But I have escaped that awful pit of despair. This time when I hit the bottom, I gave up trying to solve my problems and decided to follow God's directions. I'm trusting God with my life. I know that only God can save me, but I still struggle, and at times situations cause me to question whether God will provide or not. The honesty in those words, I think, can be echoed in, in every person's life that's in our class tonight. True honesty admits that we struggle believing that God will see to it. And I often think about Abraham as he and Isaac are walking up that mountain, and Abraham says, God will see to it. What a statement of faith, the father of faith. God will provide. Remember last night we cited Philippians 4.19. Paul says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. All your needs will be supplied by God. The Bible story that we're talking about tonight, that found in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 30, challenges us with this kind of faith that Abraham had, the kind of faith that we struggle to, to hold on to, and, and really it's the last thing that we have to hold on to whenever life is, is just falling apart all around us. The story is one of the most favorite, and it, it gives us an opportunity to talk about adult themes in the, the Bible story that often children will, will study. Christians are instructed so that they can have uh, confidence and faith in God. 1 Peter 4.12, uh, Peter says, Beloved, be not surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing." We won't face a literal fire as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, but we will face a fiery trial, and we're challenged by that. We're challenged to have that confident faith. We're challenged to have a determined resolve. I have decided to follow Jesus, we sing. How determined is that resolve? You see, if you have a determined resolve to follow Jesus, a lot of the questions of life are already answered, aren't they? You can't do that because you're a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. That's what this faith that these three Hebrews will teach us tonight. 
a determined resolve, but you're also challenged to have a trust in the power and the provision of God. Now, that's hard because it takes control out of your hands and it puts it in the hands of God. And a lot of us don't like that. We like to be in control. We like to know what's going on. And when we're not in control, then we're not in control. <laughs> you know, we just, we just have problems with that. And so as we think about this, there's, there's an uncomfortable question that comes along. Are we trusting in the providential provision and planning of God regardless of how our lives are developing? We pointed out in the, the lesson Sunday night that God has a plan. Last night we saw that God has a purpose. Well, here we see that that planning and that purpose involves the providential care and concerns of God, His provisions. Are we cooperating, being in the place God wants us to be? 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God says, I put you in the congregation there, each in your own place. He has a place for you. You need to be involved in your place. You need to be active in your place. Just don't come and, and be what we call a pew warmer. Now, I used that phrase one time in Ukraine. Now, you got to understand in Ukraine, they don't have pews. We don't have pews. So I used that phrase, and my interpreter looked at me and said, what? What? You know, we, we don't want to be a what? And, and I knew then that uh, once again, Bob, the idioms of our, our culture don't really translate too well. But don't just sit here. Don't just be a, a place filler. You've got to be a part, a functioning part of the body of Jesus Christ in this location. I've got up here Genesis chapter 50. There in verse 20, Joseph said this, this was when his brothers, you know, his father had died and his brothers were all concerned and they were thinking, oh, he's going to lower the boom on us now. He is really going to get his revenge. And so they come to him and they're really looking out for their own skins. And in response, Joseph says this. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God's provisions, God's foreseeing, God saw to it. And, and Joseph realized that. Do we have that realization in our life? That's a, that's a piercing question, and, and it's a troubling question for many. Well, the, the three men here that we read about in Daniel 3 urge us to develop and maintain a confident faith in all troubles and problems and upsets in life. So let's look at the faith that these three men have. And as you look, there's six points in your handout. And we are going to cover these quickly. Point number one, they had a faith that was unconditionally obedient. Now the focal point of the entire narrative of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is obedience to the commands of God. And, and that's the theme that we've seen running all through these lessons. Obedience. They didn't have a choice about this. The focus was on their, are they going to obey God or are they going to obey man? 
Now, not only was it obedience, but it was unconditional obedience. It wasn't that, okay, I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll really, I'll try to do the majority of what God wants and I'll get, nope, that's not it. You don't do the majority. It's all or none. It's unconditional. It's not I'll obey if. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter that God has said this. They were determined to obey God regardless of what God did for their situation. Read the story. Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow to you. We believe in God, and if he saves us, okay. If he doesn't, that's okay, but we're going to obey God. Their faith looked beyond the immediate situations. And don't you wish that we could, could get past that point at times? So many times when problems and, and situations arise, all we focus on is the immediate. Well, these three look past that. These three look past the problems and the pressures that surrounded them. They look to Jehovah God. And too many today are unable to do that because they allow the blinders of earthly troubles to restrict their vision. We sing a song. Beyond this land of parting, losing and leaping, far beyond the losses, darkening this, and far beyond the taking and the bereaving, lies that summer land of bliss. Beyond this land of toiling, sowing, and reaping, far beyond the shadows, darkening this, and far beyond the sighing, the moaning, and the weeping, lies the summer land of bliss. Beyond this land of waiting, seeking, and sighing, far beyond the sorrows, darkening this, far beyond the pain and sickness and dying, lies the summer land of bliss. That's what these three did. Their faith was able to lift their vision above the moment and look beyond the problems. And as we study these, let us accept the faith challenge. And the faith challenge has three parts to it. Number one, you offer God an unconditional obedience. You, you rec recognize He is the sovereign, the Lord God, the Almighty. He has the right to command. Don't do like jo Jonah and run away. And don't do like those in the wilderness wanderings and, and complain and, and forget God's blessings. But you offer an unconditional obedience you serve God realizing that there is life here, but there's also life hereafter. And the way you live life here depends on how you're going to live life hereafter. This life is not all there is, and we need to decide to submit to His will. That's the faith challenge. Are you willing to do that? It's a choice that, that you have to, have to make. We know that God can deliver us from any situation, but our obedience is not to be based on His deliverance or on any other condition. And then I like this phrase I wrote down, we must obey even and not if. We obey God, as the three Hebrews say, even if He doesn't rescue us, we're going to obey Him. They didn't qualify it saying, we're going to obey God if he'll put out this fire. 
or I'll be faithful to God if he changes this person or if he makes the economic situation or whatever else is troubling you. You're going to obey God even in spite of those problems that comes. And so we obey God regardless of the situations and the events that come into our life. We live, and we need to understand this, we live in an imperfect world. Sin has polluted and corrupted and contaminated this world. And so you shouldn't be surprised when stuff goes wrong in this world. What we have is imperfection. Our bodies are imperfect. Our nature is imperfect. The environment is imperfect. Personal relationships are imperfect. Why be surprised that there are problems? We're living in a world that's dominated and governed by the prince of darkness. Well, let's understand that. And as we understand that, we're going to obey God because only God can lead us to perfection. Colossians tells us that we are perfect only in Christ. That's the only perfection that comes. To be in Christ is to be perfect. And so stuff is going to go wrong. You, you may have cardiac issues your mother may get cancer. Your marriage may fall apart. Your children may rebel. You're, you may lose your job. And the list of problems go on and on. What are you going to do? Are you just going to give up? Are you going to be full of resentment and anger? No, that's not going to solve anything. The list, this isn't very encouraging for those of you that are young, but I'll guarantee you this, the list doesn't get any shorter the older you get. It doesn't get it. This is the best it's going to be for you. Let me, I can confidently tell you that it's not going to get any better this side of, of this life. The list only gets longer. So what you're doing right now with the imperfections that, that you're confronted with now you're going to have to expand and develop your ability to cope with that. And the only way to do that is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tells us, that of their faith. Whenever life turns sour, we need to remember these three who lived righteous lives. Uh, boy, a lot more can be said than that. But in, in the end... <clears throat> Considering the, the culture in which they lived, considering the fact that they were exiled, they had been taken by armed men away from their homes, separated from their families, forcibly introduced to a new lifestyle, a new culture, new morals. In spite of all that, these men remained steadfast in their devotion. And at the end, we'll see they have enjoyed unbelievable rewards. Let us not succumb to the weight of the surrounding evil around us. And that's where we as Christians have, have a great relief. Uh, study the Apostle Paul, and, and I've got in here, we won't have time to, to do it, but look at all Paul. Remember that list of all the things that Paul suffered? He said, I've done all these things. Look at his life. He was stoned for preaching the gospel, and they thought he was dead. 
Paul had all kinds of critics and backstabbers, and yet he was able to survive because of his faith. Don't succumb to the weight of the surrounding evil. Don't obey God on the condition if things go right, then I'll obey God. Another point, they were, as I call it, unconditionally independent in their obedience. They did not obey God because someone else did. I've known folks like that. They had great respect for somebody in the church, and those people had tremendous impact. But something happened in those people's lives. They left the church, and they committed sinful acts that became known, and and those people gave up on God, left His church. That's not our obedience is not built upon man. Our commitment to God is based upon the Heavenly Father. And these three Hebrews, remember they were taken in exile, first exile out of Jerusalem, and they were taken with a group, a large group of others. And all the, what about these others, they could say, you know, here's so-and-so over here, and he's not, he's, he's an Israelite, he's a worshiper of Jehovah, but look at what he's doing. And he's not being uh, persecuted for what he is doing. They could have looked at others, but they didn't. They were unconditionally independent, and they did not leave their commitment based upon someone else. They chose to follow God regardless of what others around them did. And this is what I call convicted behavior. They were convinced convicted that they needed to follow God regardless of what others were doing around about them. And their resolve led them to a fiery ordeal. No one else did that we read about, only these three. Why did they appear in front of that oven heated seven times? Because they were different, because they were separated, because they were unconditionally independent in their... uh, belief and in their devotion to God. The lesson that we learn from these three not only focuses upon the God that provides, but it focuses upon the faith of those believing. Faith is the victory. And another hymn, and as I was going through this lesson, writing it up and pulling it together, I, one, one hymn right after another came into mind. Faith is the victory. And what a wonderful uh, phrase that is. That brings us to the second point of their faith. It was a faith that was fully persuaded. And here's what I like about these three fellows. As you look in in chapter 3 and verse 17, they said, our God is able. They knew the God they served. They understood Him. They believed in Him. They were convicted and convinced in Him. This knowledge was not the result of casual devotion or inherited practices. Their faith was their own. How sad it is to to see folks that, that are supposed to be members of the Lord's church, but they're members there because their daddy or their mama or their grandparents were. It's not their own choice. They've kind of inherited their position. I read a statement back, oh, it was back in the 70s, don't even remember, but I remember the statement. 
says, God has no grandchildren. Now think about that. God has no grand. He only has children. And for those that are members of the church, because mom and daddy were, <clears throat> that doesn't work. God has no grandchildren. God only has children. And they knew this God. They were fully persuaded who God was, and nothing could make them bow before Nebuchadnezzar's stature. And you read this in verses 16 and 17. They were convinced of God's ability. Look at those, that phrase, is able. God is able. They understood that, and they knew that. They knew that their God was able to deliver. And so many today uh, are not persuaded of this particular point about God. The Christian must have a faith that is persuaded. And I put the word tenacious. We need to have the tenacity to hold on to that. Even whenever life has fallen apart and, and the situations look bleak and, and grim, we need to have that, that tenacity to hold on. We need to be, be persuaded that our God is in control and that our God is able to deliver us. But today, many people struggle because they have a God that's too small. You see, God isn't able because they're trying to do it all themselves. And they are not following the example of these three. We need to own an attitude where we're fully persuaded of the Almighty's ability. God can rescue me from cancer, but even if he does not, I will not bow down. God can restore my marriage, but even if he does not, I will not bow down. God can cause me to prosper, but even if he does not, I will not bow down. And you just fill in the blank. God can, yes, whatever you need, God can, but if he does not, will you bow down? Look at these, these questions, and, and each one is a lesson in itself, but we just list them. How persuaded are you that your God is able to deliver you from the problems in your life? Are your problems larger than your God? What a question that is. Uh, think about that and be honest about that. Is your problem larger than your God? If it is, you're an uneasy person. Your spirit is disquieted. You're full of anxiety. You're full of stress. What problem is greater than the problem of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? If you can, can have this God that they had, and you can turn your problems over to him as they did, see, your problems shrink in proportion because your God is so good. And then look at, look at the next point. Are your problems more powerful than your God? Powerful questions. Uh, there's a, another song that came to my mind. Tis the grandest theme, though the ages, ages rung. Tis the grandest theme for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest theme that the world e'er sung. Our God is able to deliver me. Isn't that great? Wonderful hymn. Is your faith in the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then you're more than conquerors. 
Read Romans 8. We don't have time for that. Look at the third point real quick. Their faith was a faith that withstood pressure. Now, this is significant in, in the context, and it's very practical in our lives as well. They expressed their faith. They were told, okay, now here's what you got to do. You bow down to this, this image, and if you don't, you're in trouble. And they said, we're not going to. And so they, in verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. His facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Why was he so incensed? Why did he, he have this fit of rage? Well, look back up a couple of verses and, and verse 17, our God whom we serve, they expressed their faith. They were living in a culture and a time when an expressed faith and the Jehovah God would bring them death and persecution, but they didn't hold their tongue. There are many others in the same situation that these were, and and these kept silent, and they had no problem. They were able to just float along and, and go about the business. If you look in the Bible here, they, they were given a second chance. And they were told, now, you can, you can rethink this thing, and, and we'll redo this situation. You know, maybe you haven't thought through what's going on, and so... If you look there in uh, verse 15, it says, Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made very well. See, he says, I'm giving you an out here, fellas. I'm giving you an opportunity where you can, we'll just forget this whole thing, but here's what you got to do. He says, but if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Well, as uh, the, the phrase is, they were given an offer that was too good to turn down. They just couldn't turn this down, but they did. And look at, at what their response in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning it. <laughs> look at that. Look, we don't even need to talk about this. There's no need to discuss this. They've made that decision. They had decided to follow the Lord. And so their their tenacity in, in regard to the opportunity to rethink and redo this situation, they said, we will not. They will not be moved. In the New Testament, especially in the books of Timothy and Titus, you have that, that word steadfast and hold steadfast. And the point being that you are not moved in your conviction and your faith. They wouldn't be intimidated. They would not be bullied. 
And the Christian is told by Paul, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. The Christian should be the intimidator and not the intimidated. Why? Because we're serving the almighty Lord God of heaven. That's what these three understood, and they, they knew that culture would change and government regulations would change. They knew that the situations would evolve, but their God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And you may be facing a number of problems in your business dealings where, where Christian ethics and Christian principles won't allow you to do certain things. What do you do? What decision have you made in regard to that? These are the pressures that come. You have felt the same pressure that, that confronted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe you've taken a stand for the Lord and for the faith that has been delivered to us. But in the end, you found yourself staring down at, at a fire and you prayed and you prayed, but the uh, situation remains, and there's a strong inclination to avoid the stressor in the situation. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego urge you not to despair because you serve a God who is able to deliver. Point number four, real quick. Their faith was a faith that was secured by promise. There's an interesting point that, uh, that we find here. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. This was written prior to uh, the captivity. And so they were aware of this. And listen to the words that they would remember. Thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. I would think that as they stood in their situation, they remembered this promise that God had made. Now, it's very important for us to look at that, that security that God offers and we need to understand that in that passage from Isaiah, there's a number of calamities that, that come through. You've got, you've got floods, you've got the fires, you've got a number of other things. God's not saying that he's going to prevent you from suffering these things. But God is saying he's going to bring you through it. And the same truth is found, Romans 8, 28. The promises of God is that out of the ashes, out of the, the destruction and the turmoil and the chaos, God will bring good things to result. That's his promise. Again, another hymn says, Standing on the promises of Christ my King through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Look at a fifth point. These three had a faith that rejoiced in protection. You might raise an eyebrow here and say, well, how were they protected? Uh, the furnace was heated seven times, and, and they were thrown in. <clears throat> but what happened after they were thrown in? The chains were broken. They were walking around in the midst of that, and there was a fourth person that was walking in that, and then whenever they came out of the furnace... 
Not a hair was singed. There wasn't even the smell of smoke on their trousers. The Bible says there was joy, even rejoicing from the, the pagans in that assembly. They were protected. In the midst of the fire, they were in the midst of the chaos and turmoil in your life. It may be difficult to accept, but God is protecting you. God is helping you. God says trials will come. And, and here are some passages for you. Trials are going to come. God says we will encounter trials, Christians. The earth is full of trials, but especially Christians are going to have it. And it's important for us to understand these trials are going to be personalized. You'll undergo a trial that may not impact me as much as it would you. The devil knows what your weaknesses are, and he knows the best ways to to get you to uh, give up your faith. And then look at this next point, Hebrews 12, 2. We need to consider to decide what choice we're going to make. Considering, Jesus considered, the Hebrew writer tells us, and that, that is an interesting word. It, it literally means evaluate. And so what it, it says, it's an accounting term, and it says you look at the numbers and you compare the results here. What we're being told is you look at the trials and the ordeals and you compare that with what lies ahead. Look beyond those things. If we value and comfort if we value comfort more than character, trials are going to upset us. If we value the material more than the spiritual, trials are going to lead us to poverty. If we value the physical more than the spiritual, trials will lead us to great sorrow. If we value the personal relationships more than the spiritual, we leave God's presence. And remember, lesson number one, Jonah left the presence of God. Well, the same thing can happen to us. If we live for the present and forget the future, trials will embitter and cause resentment in our lives. So how are you considering the trials that, that are uh, approaching you? Consider the joy that awaits you. Whatever troubles you have, remember you have His presence. Don't leave the presence of God as Jonah the key here is walking with Jesus. Jonah left the presence. Remember, he went as far as he could in the opposite directions. We need to walk with Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that there is uh, <coughs> a faith uh, that will give us uh, an escape. All right, point number six. These three had a faith that gained personal promotion. Whenever Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego exited the fire, they received immediate promotion. And, and you read that in the text there. The Christian's faith will lead us to progress and promotion. Revelation 2.10, Be thou faithful unto death, and you'll get the crown of life. Literally, that phrase means you be faithful even if it means death. It doesn't mean you stay faithful until you die. He says, and, and in the context, he's talking about Christians being persecuted. He says, you be faithful even if it means your death, and you'll have the crown of life as a result. The fire may have been your greatest test, but on the other side, 
you'll see the promotion. Well, here are some urgent lessons I want you to take home real quick. Chief lesson, you're never going to bring the world to Christ by becoming like it. You need to make that unconditional individual choice to follow God. Don't trust the multitude. There are many, many others, but you can't become like the world and win them to Christ. The confident victory that faith is able to quench the power of fire, Hebrews 11. And there's a number of passages that talks about fiery trials and fire in the Christian's life we just haven't been able to cover. And the courageous encouragement that each has the strength to stand. and You can be just like these three Hebrews. You have the same abilities that they have. Let us not forget that God is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides, the God who sees that our needs are met. Abraham replied to Isaac, God will see that it is provided. There is another sacrifice that was critical to provide for the forgiveness of sins. And that too was the sacrifice, and God saw to it, and that was Jesus Christ. As we struggle through this world's sin, sorrow, and and strife, let us remember to look to the Lord God Almighty, who is the God providing our salvation. And let us nurture the kind of faith that boldly declares as three, these three, whether God rescues me or not, I will stand for Him, and I will not compromise my faith, and I will not deny my Lord. Well, time is up. A lot more can be said, but look at the encouragement. God sees what you need, and He's provided it. Especially, He's provided fellowship with Him. Don't stay in the world. The world has nothing to offer. Put yourself in that environment in the Lord's church and the body of Christ that gives you that encouragement and that strength that you need to endure the traumas and the trials of life. Tomorrow night, we'll We'll close and we'll look at the God of healing and we'll talk about Naaman. Remember, refreshments are in the back and uh, we appreciate your presence. Hope you'll be back tomorrow night. Thank you all very much.